Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. If you've been with us, you, you know we've been studying out of here. And uh, as we talk about the fact that we are the righteous. But today I want to talk about something in addition to this. And like I said, there's going to be um, some radical moments in today's message. Uh, so I just need you to bear with me. I'm going to mess with some people's religion a little bit today. Somebody says, too late, you've been messing up my religion already. Uh, <laughs> well, praise God, that's okay. Uh, thank God we're a word-believing church. Uh, we don't twist the word, we don't add to, and we don't take away from, we just teach the Bible. Somebody say, what type of denomination are you? We're, that's what non-denomination talks about. It's, it's, it's not a denomination, it's just we believe the word. Amen. Amen. And, and, even, and even in believing the word, we're learning what the word actually means, amen? But that's going to be for a deeper message a little later. So we're talking about the fact that we are the righteous, and next to that, if you're writing notes today, you can put we are the righteous, uh, the feet or the seat. The feet or the seat. And I'll explain to you what that means in a little bit. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Let's look at verse... 11, and we'll look at this in the uh, Amplified first. Hebrews 4.11 in the Amplified says, Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to do what? Enter that rest. Everybody say, enter that rest. Now in the bracket you see there, it breaks down what, what it means by that rest. It says, of God to know and experience it for ourselves. So there is a rest of God that God wants us to know and experience for ourselves. Now, let me slow down for a quick second. What does it mean to rest? Cease from labor. Cease from labor. I like that definition. Take it. Somebody said, take it easy. Everybody said, take it easy. <laughs> now, you're rested in that seat that you're sitting in, as a matter of fact. When you sat down, the muscles in your body hopefully relaxed and you are at rest. There's no movement, there's no work, you're taking it easy. That's what rest means. Now, I can't be rested and working at the same time. And there is a rest, there is a way to take it easy that's of God. And he wants us to know it and experience it for ourselves that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. So there's a rest, and I know you're at rest because I know you're trusting God. I know you're obeying God. I know you're following God. But when you're not at rest, you're working. Now, if you look at this, if unbelief equals not resting, then belief equals resting. Are you seeing that? If I believe in what God has done, if I believe in who he is, if I believe in what I just took with this communion, that Jesus finished it all, then I'm not going to try to do anything myself. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to rest. Everybody say rest. rest. Let's go to verse, uh, I want to go up to verse uh, 1. And we're going to just kind of, kind of read this down. Do you guys have the scriptures in the back? Okay, let's, let's uh, get those up so they can, they can follow along with that. I'm going to read it from the NIV. And I want you to kind of see all this in context. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, for we also have the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I see right there that the way to enter into the rest is to do what? To believe. To believe. Now, somebody may say, believe in what? 
Okay, well, that's some of what we've been talking about that's up here on the board. And uh, forgive me for those who, uh, my back are to you. But what am I believing in? If you look at number five, belief, this is talking about how to be saved in the, the life cycle or, uh, of a believer. First of all, I got to believe that God loves me. John 3, 16, for God so did what? Love the world. Salvation, understanding grace, being empowered to change, it all starts with the fact that God loves me. Why is that important? Because it's hard to believe anybody's going to do anything for you if you don't think they care for you. And oftentimes we try to be saved or walk out our salvation, but then we start doubting, does God really love little old me? Does God love me knowing what I did yesterday? Does God love me knowing what I said to my spouse last week? Does God know me knowing what I was drinking or smoking or doing or whatever? Does God love me still? The answer is yes. God loves you. Not only does God love you, according to 1 John 4, 8, it says God is love. He doesn't just have it. It's who he is. And this is, is, this is not the same type of love that you and I have. Sometimes the love that you and I have with, uh, separate from him is it's conditional. You do me right, I do you right. But that's not God's love. God has agape love. He is agape love, which is unconditional love. Now, what does unconditional mean? What is the, word, what is the uh, prefix un and conditional? What does that actually mean? From, you in. What does you in mean? Somebody said it over here. Yeah. No, it, no. It means no. It literally means under no condition does God stop loving you. It's unconditioned, which means under no condition does he stop loving you. Somebody says, yeah, but you, you don't understand. What if you do something wrong? I, I didn't make up the rules. I didn't make up the word. I didn't make up what agape means. It means under no condition does God stop loving you? That's why we've taught messages that's on the love of God. Because many people struggle right here with, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if God really loves me. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says he loves you. If I'm not mistaken, the scripture says nothing can separate you from the love of God. What is nothing, no thing can separate you from the love of God? Somebody name something. Something bad. Nicotine cannot separate you from the love of God. Somebody else. Hatred cannot separate you from the love of God. Somebody else. Lying, speeding cannot separate you from the love of God. It may separate you from freedom, but it will not separate you from the love of God. <laughs> what else? Jealousy cannot separate me from the love of God. Now, does that mean they're not repercussions here on earth if I do those things? No, there's still repercussions, but God still loves me. How you speeding as an example? I keep wanting to speed past the cops. I can claim the love of God as much as I want to. He will love me while I'm speeding. He will love me while I get arrested. He will love me while I get booked. He will love me in the jail. He will love me in the courthouse. His love for me will never stop and will never fail as I go to jail. I, would, I can declare and decree that God loves me. Amen. you still going to jail. <laughs> yeah, and, and, that's, and that's what many people, they, they have a hard time separating. Though. They say, well, if he loves me, then he'll get me out of all that trouble. No, sometimes love is letting you go through the trouble with the promise that he still got you through the mess. Now, remember, he didn't put you in that mess. But he'll sure be with you throughout it. And, and, and so you, we, we, have to, we have to solidify the fact nothing can separate me from God's love. He loved me so much, and this is what we're talking about believing in in Hebrews 4. He loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who, who according to uh, John 1.14, it says he was full of grace and truth. And when we studied out what that word full, the full of means, it said he was permeated with grace and truth. He, he, he was one with grace and truth. He is grace. He is truth. He is also the word. The word is Jesus who is full of grace and truth, who actually is grace and truth. That, that's what we have. I think we have it written over here. Yeah. Jesus was permeated 
infused with grace and truth. So Jesus is the word, he is truth, they're all grace. Love sent grace to sacrifice for your sins. And the question is, is do I believe that? Because once I believe that love, who can never stop loving me, sent grace, which I can't earn, I don't deserve, and he died for me, and as a result of his blood being shed, I am forgiven. If I believe that, the Bible says that's how you get saved. Now, I know we've been taught other stuff, saying that I got to do this and I got to do that, but this is what we've been studying this. This is what the Word says. My responsibility in all this process is simply to believe. I do have a responsibility with actions, but that comes later on. According to the word of God, I have to believe this right here, and I'm saved. Uh, go real quick. Let me show you. Let me just give you a scripture on this. Go to Ephesians 2. Uh, look, look at chapter 8. Sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and verse 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, we'll look at it in the Amplified. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says... For it is by, what type of grace does it say there in the Amplified? Free grace. How much does free cost you? I say, how much does free cost you? I thought I had to earn this. I thought I had to work for this. It says it right there. For it is by free grace. What happens when I get free grace? It's God's unmerited favor that you are saved. It's he gave his son for free and his son sacrificed and all this is free and if I believe in that that's how I'm saved for it's by free grace that you are saved what does that mean delivered from judgment judgment of what when you're studying the word slow down judgment of what the penalty of my sins well wait who paid for my sins because somebody had to pay for them that's what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says he took on all of our sins, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Somebody had to pay the price for your sins, but it's not you. That's what Jesus did. That's why when people say, I believe in Jesus, it's not just I believe that there was a Jesus who walked the earth, it's I believe what he did, and it, it applies to me. If you understand that, say amen. So this, this, this thing called Christianity is not a religion. It's a, it's a relationship with the Savior who has forgiven us. Jesus forgave me, or I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did, and I believe that. I believe it. For it's by grace that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. See, this is, it wasn't ours. He earned it. He was the only one who lived out and fulfilled the law perfectly. We didn't qualify on our own. We can't qualify on our own. That was what Jesus was sent to do. And he became the perfect sacrifice for you and I. And as a result, he went up on the cross as perfect, took the punishment as perfect, died as perfect, shed that perfect blood for you and I, and the Bible says that his blood took care of our sins once and for all. Now that's hard for some people to understand because some people have a hard time understanding agape or unconditional love. But that's the truth nonetheless. And that's why we say thank you, Jesus. Because we didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. Let's keep reading so, so you can see this yourself. Christ's salvation, it says, uh, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. How am I a partaker in this? Through your faith. That's why here we have belief and faith. There's slight differences, but in, in general, belief and faith in what one through four is about that's what it takes to be saved. You see that right here in the scripture. 
It says, in this salvation, in case you thought you can earn it, and this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It cannot come through your own striving. What does that word striving mean? Through your own works. I can't be saved by trying to just do good. Now, if I'm saved, I should do good because the Holy Spirit now lives inside of me and the fruit of the Spirit is indeed love. So good stuff should come out of a Christian who is yielded to the voice of God. But that's where your good works come from. It comes after now I've made him Lord, after I'm saved. It says, while you were yet sinners, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you when you were not right. For Jesus to die for you when you were right, that didn't even make sense. He was dying for you. He died if he was dying for you. He died for you because you were in the wrong state. And that's what made you right or righteous. If you understand that, say amen. amen. So it says, not of your own doing, through your own striving. Now check this out. But it is a what? Gift from God. Do you, well, some of y'all do, so let me say this differently. Should you have to earn gifts? Somebody say, what, what, what's the differentiation? I don't know about you, but... My parents used to cancel Christmas if we acted up. And that really sucked for me because my birthday is December 24th. So it was like, we canceling Christmas because y'all didn't clean up. Wait a minute. So, you know, it was very much a do good, get good household. But that's not how God works. When God gives a gift, it's given freely. It doesn't cost you anything. Salvation was a free gift given to us all. Amen? Amen? Now, some of you guys, I know you've heard this, but it's important for where we're going because I, I really got to make sure I lay a good foundation for what we're going to say. It says, but it is, a, it is a gift of God, verse 9 says, uh, not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone could possibly do so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. I don't know how much more specific you can get than that. It's literally saying Jesus and God did this all. It's a gift. So believe in it, take it, and enjoy it. And that's what salvation is all about. But I want to submit something to you today. The story for the believer doesn't stop there. We've kind of relegated the, the, the Christian um, walk to just that, getting saved and then just trying to stay saved. And we come to church to learn how to stay saved and get more from God. And then get more from God. I, I, need, I need healing, Lord. I need, I need prosperity, Lord. I need, I need deliverance, Lord. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And the last I checked, you've been made right with God and salvation has already done it all for you. We have to find rest in the fact that we're saved. That means everything you need is already done. I'll say that again. That means everything you need is already done. So the natural question should be, well, where is it at? Because <laughs> I'm glad I'm healed, but where is it at? I'm glad my marriage is healthy, but where is it at? I'm glad my kids are acting like they got sense, but where is it at? <laughs> I'm glad I got the job or the car or whatever, but where is it at? So grace has made all this available but now it takes faith to lay hold to what grace is made available. It's the same way. Just like grace made salvation available for you, faith had to believe in it to take it, right? Salvation was done. Jesus ain't getting up on the cross every other day, right? Just like it took faith to take your salvation, it takes faith to take what grace has made available of all the blessings that are, are, that are available for you. But we spend so much time trying to get forgiven again 
that we're improperly understanding where the blessing actually is. You mess up, oh, I, I, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this. No, 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 you're already forgiven. Believe in what he did. Well, what about repentance? Oh, repentance is a change of heart, change of attitude, heading in the opposite direction. You, you, you better change, or if not, you're just going to keep standing in the same cycle and never getting to the place of receiving all God has for you. So yeah, repentance in that sense is important, but do I have to say the magic words? That's a big question nowadays. You say, why do you call them magic words? Because that's what we use it as. We use Father, forgive me as abracadabra. We, we literally say, Father, forgive me as if forgiveness wasn't already given. And we think by saying those special words, all of a sudden Jesus gets back up on the cross, sacrifices himself again, and your sins are forgiven again. And again and again. No, no, no. He did it once and for all. The Father, forgive me is for you, not for him. He's already forgiven you. It's for you to remind yourself, I need to cut this out. It's for a change of mind in your heart. His heart is already settled concerning you. His heart is, is that you're my child with your sin and self. You're righteous. I love you. You need to change the way you think. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you need to allow me to transform your thinking so you'll stop sinning. But I have forgiven you already. You're still sinning because of the residue of the old man is still in there. While we were yet sinners, he saved us. Your spirit is saved, but that soul needs some work. So you having a repentant heart or mind, it's not talking about a repentant spirit. You remember, man's made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is saved and sealed by the Holy Ghost, but that soul, your mind, which is your will and your emotions, it has to be renewed. And that's what happens down in this bottom process we'll talk about in a second, but, but forgiveness is settled concerning you. Forgiveness is settled concerning you. Forgiveness is settled concerning you. So you don't have to come and say the special words to get him to forgive you. Again, that's called incantation and magic. And we wonder why some things aren't quite working so well in the church is because we've let certain things seep in that's not in the word. First John, I think it's First John uh, 2, 1, talks about this. Let's go there real quick. Some people say, well, no, you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're saved, and then you got to make sure every time that you repent, because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. Well, that's what I was taught too, but it's not accurate. Amen? Uh, let's stick to the Amplified. It says, 1 John 2, 1, it says, My little children. Now, I think this is very interesting that he puts it this way, because can I say this without you getting offended? A mature believer already knows this. But one who is still working on whether or not they fully believe this, I think is still in that child category. It's not a put down, it's just an identification of children are learning this, the mature folk already, already got this. But my little children, I write to you these things so that you may not violate God's law and sin. Now what does it say after that? But if anyone should sin, keep going, we have an advocate, one who will, not might, one who will intercede for us with the Father, it is Jesus Christ, the all-righteous, upright, just who conforms to the Father's will in every purpose, thought, and action. It says, don't sin, but if you do, Jesus got you. Don't sin, but if you do, you got an advocate with the Father that's saying, remember my blood. Remember, yeah, they just messed up, but remember my blood. Yeah, they screwed up bad that time, but remember my blood. Don't send them to hell. You can't, you can't, you can't, God. My blood does not allow you to send them to hell. For you to do that would 
cancel out my sacrifice. See, that's hard for some people to believe. That's what makes it unconditional love. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't take in all that truth, take in all that love, and still go bust hell wide open. If you can, we need to check, are you really saved? Because remember, salvation is a decision to believe in what he did. Now, I want you to follow me on this. I know I'm really breaking this down, but I need it because some people, I don't want y'all to be in hell thinking you're supposed to be in heaven uh, <laughs> later on and say, Pastor Archie didn't break this down to me right. Because <laughs> I'm going to be like, you a lie. I, I said it on Sunday, August the 11th. I told you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but, but literally, it says right here, I believe I have faith. That's not something you can fake. So if I believe in what Jesus did, then I believe it. How do, how do I know you believe it? I can see it. You may make mistakes, but I can see it in how you live. You believe that chair was going to hold you up, and I saw it in what you did. You believe that pew was going to hold you up, I saw it in what you did. How? How I know? You sat down. And if you believe in what Jesus did, you're going to live like it. You're going to act like it. You may have some error. You may make some mistakes because your mind is being renewed, but it'll, it'll be there. So somebody who just busts in hell wide open, I, I don't know if that person really said. They might have signed their name on a roll. They might have jumped in the baptismal water once or twice. They might have done some things, but I don't know if they actually really believed. Because you know people can get baptized and not believe. Oh, yeah, I got baptized the first time by, by mistake. Yeah. I was already saved, you know, fortunately, but I was 13, and we were at an apostolic church that my um, dad and my stepmom used to go to, and my brother wanted to get saved. And I, I got saved when I was like three, and, you know, and I, I thought they was going, you know, do the Romans 10, 9, and 10 thing. So everybody's shouting, you know, and all the teens was there, and people were getting saved left and right, and my brother was sitting there, he had a tear coming down his eye. I was like, hey, man, what's, what's going on? I think I should go down there. Oh, cool, man. You know, and, and the church I came from, you know, let's go, I'm going to go with you, brother. So I'm like, I got you, man. I'm going to go down there with you. I ain't going to let you do this on your own. It was like 2,000 people there. I'm like, I got you, man. So we walked down together, and everybody clapping, you know, you know two young men coming out. Yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I'm waiting for the prayer to start, and they were like, oh, praise God, young man, go this way. And I'm like, well, that's different, you know. But okay. I'm just having my brothers back. And so the music's still going. And then we go up the steps. And then they said, put this on. And I'm like, well, this is really weird now. You know, they had these white linen pants to put on and this white shirt. And I'm like, this ain't how I got saved when I was younger, but you know, who am I? You know, I'm in Rome doing Romans. You know, I'm making stuff up. And, and, and so then they lead us out to these steps. And it's water. I'm like, wait a minute. This is baptism. <laughs> My mama ain't here. <laughs> ain't nobody. I'm like, what is this? And, you know, in, in, in that particular denomination, you know, salvation is getting baptized, apparently. I didn't know that at that time. But, you know, I just went. <laughs> I'll never forget. My brother go down. He, <laughs> he get up. We didn't know what to do. You know, everybody else said, thank you, Jesus. So he said, thank you, Jesus, and walk, walked off. I saw that's what he did, so I went down and did the same thing. <laughs> Came up, thank you, Jesus. And I was like, I don't even know what I just did, but uh, okay. <laughs> My mom was so mad. I told her the next day, I was like, I got baptized today, Mom. She was like, what? I wasn't even there and this, that, and other. But, but people can do religious things and not even believe it. It's pretty easy to do. <laughs> And, and so if, if you're not living it out because maybe you, nobody ever taught you, maybe you didn't understand of what you were believing in, there are going to be a lot of people, I believe, who hear the gospel of grace and figure out, I need to get saved. I think that's what's going on with me, is I didn't realize I was supposed to be believing in what Jesus did on my behalf. I've been believing in church. I've been believing in that there is a God but I've never really believed in what Jesus did on the cross for my sins because I didn't know. 
And you have many people who are then saying, oh, now I'll be saved. I'm, and now I can understand that because I'm saved, I am right with God. What he did made me right, but for me to take it, I have to believe. And that's an important distinction because one through four applies to every human being on the world, in the world, on this earth. Now be careful with this because some people have taken this truth and created a doctrine that all people are saved. All people are not saved. We just saw that this takes, to enter into this rest, it takes belief. Belief is the key factor. Does God love all human beings, yes or no? Absolutely. Did grace, who is Jesus, come down in the form of a man, died on a cross for all human beings, all creation? Absolutely. Doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, what gender you are. Doesn't even matter what denomination or what, what religion you are. He still died for you. Does the sacrifice apply to everyone who is under creation? Absolutely. The sacrifice was made. It's like the barbecue is cooked. But not everybody eating. Amen. I don't know where that came from. I just popped in my head. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm sorry. And because the sacrifice applies to everyone, does forgiveness apply to everyone? Yes, everybody has been forgiven. But is all of this in effect in everyone's life? No, because not everyone believes. And that's the only difference between us and them. You're just one belief away from hell, but thank God you believe. And that's why this thing of Christians thinking we're better than everybody. <laughs> While you were yet sinners, he died for you. So for me to judge you because of your sin is the complete wrong mindset. The only person who's worthy of judging anybody because of their sin is Jesus. We were never called to judge people because of their sin. I don't know where we got that, but judge a tree by the fruit it bears. Shut up. You don't even know what that means in context. But literally, God is the judge. We're supposed to go and present him to them saying, you're judged, judge your sins. You were found guilty, but Jesus paid the price. Jesus took your sentence. You're guilty. Everybody in this room got an issue. I mean, right now, <laughs> everybody got something that they're working on with our saved selves. So why in the world am I going to go out into the world who needs what we're talking about and act like I got it all together? Everybody, all of us needed a savior. And, and, because, and the only difference between you and me and them is we believe, and that made all this go into effect. That made all that go into effect. Believing is receiving what he has for you. So once you believe, you literally take hold of grace and salvation and make it your own. It's there, but if you don't believe, it's just there. Some of y'all got family members who need to believe and receive, but they don't understand it. It's as simple as just taking it. Because church has made it so complicated. All they got to do is just take it. I just showed you it's a free gift. It's there, and you just got to tell them, just take it. No, but God don't want me. Yes, he does. He's love. No, but Jesus didn't sacrifice me. Yes, he did. I just, just take it. You don't understand how bad I've been. No, I don't understand, but he does. And he still died for you take it but you don't understand what's wrong with me in my head I don't but he'll work with you he'll transform you he'll change you don't wait to feel better to get saved it's getting saved that helps you feel better that's what he's doing he's saving you from all of that stuff he doesn't want you clean he wants you dirty he wants to take you in as dirty so he can cleanse you. 
He don't want you trying to clean up yourself. How's that been working out for you? He wants you right as you are. I know the church has made you feel like you had to be perfect. But we ain't perfect. I say all the time, God is perfect, church is not. Because church has people. Mm-hmm. 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 I learned that the hard way. I was like, people is crazy. <laughs> I didn't know. I knew I was a little nuts, but I didn't know the rest of y'all was too. I said, we just crazy together, glory to God. All working it out. We just had it in different ways, that's all. But he's, thank God he's perfect. And thank God we get to rest on what he did. So again, it's just in believing these things that that's the difference between creation and his children. This is available, one through four, for all creation, but his children are the ones who believe. If you understand that, say amen. amen. So once you believe, that's what makes you righteous. Amen? Now once I'm righteous, now I need to know his will. And that's what we have down here. This is my part. This was all his part. Now I say, Lord, what is your will for my life? Because I'm no longer worried about being saved and staying saved. That's taken care of. So now what in the world am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? The only way to know that is by asking him. The cross has been settled. I'm about to make a radical statement, so get ready. You have to move on from the cross. Jesus ain't on the cross. I know you got one around your neck. I know you got it in your ears. We all got them tattooed somewhere. At this, the, the cross did its job. And we thank God for what Jesus did on that cross. That's why I just spent 30 minutes telling you about what he did on the cross. We're not devaluing that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. As Reg said, we've been talking about the, the, the currency of the blood. It's, it's the greatest currency known to man. It's what purchased you. It's what redeemed you. It's what made you right. And all of that happened on that cross. But now, I got to move on because he wants to use me after the cross. Even Jesus is doing something different in heaven as your advocate after the cross. So when you hear me say, get up from the cross, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, move forward and let's start operating as his sons and daughters. If you understand that, say amen. amen. All right. I think I can move on now. Y'all sure y'all understand all of that? Okay, let's go to Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And verse 30, uh, we're going to go 28 to 30, and let's look at the New Living Translation. Now, I'm going to encourage you guys on something here, and, and this is going to take some sacrificing, some commitment for some of you guys. With these topics that we're teaching right now, we can't get it all in in one hour. Amen. Amen? So that's why we have midweek Bible study on Wednesdays, I need you to make it to the Wednesdays so we can move forward on the Sundays. Amen? Uh, but sometimes if you don't show up on the Wednesday, then we got to re keep repeating stuff. Amen? I'm just, I'm just real because our goal and our vision in our church is our goal is to teach the Word of God with simplicity and understanding so that you can apply it. Amen? So I, I dare not go too fast. Uh, we want to make sure that you're getting this on the inside of you so it actually helps you Monday through Saturday. It's, not, it's worthless to go to a church and you walk out feeling good, but then Monday through Saturday, devil beating you up because you don't know who you are. You know what I mean? So we need you to understand this, but that's why we have the multiple services because on Wednesday what I'll do is I'll go further in this. But then if you're there on Wednesday, then I don't have to repeat it all on Sunday. Amen? So that's just a little commercial for Wednesdays. Amen. So then Jesus said, do what? Come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll do what? There's that word again. Give you rest. Who's going to give you rest? Jesus. 
Jesus, I'll give you rest. When he was on that cross, he said, it is finished. I did it all. If you believe in me, if you return to me, if you, if you literally trust me, I'll give you rest. Verse uh, 29. Take my yoke upon you, which is love. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your soul. What's my soul? My mind, my will, and my emotions. People worry about money. They worry about this, that, and the other. They worry about whatever. But when I trust Jesus, I'm not worried about nothing because I'm rested. It's done. It's finished. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus said, I finished it all. And all I'm doing is passing on to you the blessing. All I'm doing is passing on to you the, the continued work to love. And we, we're supposed to rest in all of that, knowing that all is done and all is well. Go with me to uh, Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by what? By what? Faith. faith. I'm made right in God's sight by faith, by me believing in him. We have peace with God. You're not at war with God. You are no longer an enemy to God. God loves you. Not because of what you're doing, but because of what Jesus did. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Your mistakes, I'll just say it the way it is, your sin does not make you a new enemy to God. Do you believe that? Why not? Because your sin has already been dealt with with the body and blood of Jesus. I'll say that again because some of y'all are digesting that. Your sin does not make you a new enemy to God. It just doesn't. Jesus Christ gave you peace with God through those things we just got finished talking about. I'll say it to you this way. If you're walking around worried about your sin, you need to understand it's not your sin to keep. That's Jesus' sin. He took it and then he paid for it. So with you trying to be all depressed and sad and beating yourself up and in shame and condemnation, you're taking back the sin that he's already paid for and you're devaluing his sacrifice. That's crazy when you think about it. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is like, wait, that's paid for. That's done. I gave my life for that. I shed my blood for that. And you're like, but yeah, but, but you don't understand. I feel real bad. He's like, well, don't, because I paid for it. And see, the understanding that he paid for it and the appreciation that he paid for it is what should begin to start changing our motivation to say, maybe I ought to stop doing it. Because I love him so much and I'm so appreciative of what he did, maybe I want to stop doing that. But to keep doing it doesn't make God love you any less. It just means you're still a child. Because that's what children do. Children just keep doing stuff. Why? Because they're selfish. So a person who continues to sin and dishonor the sacrifice of God, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It just means they're still a child and they got to renew that mind. And like I said, you can see it, those of us, especially who are parents, you can see it in examples with our kids. It took some of us years to get our kids to stop doing stuff. Some of them still doing it. But when they're old, when they're mature, they won't depart from what they were taught. And that's the, part, that's the promise for every believer, too. Eventually, you'll get it. So God's not mad at you because you're in a process. But you got to settle that I got peace with God because of what Jesus did. Let's go to verse 2. Because of our faith, there it is again, Christ has brought us, we've used this example, imagine a, a space right here that's reserved. Christ has brought me into a place of undeserved privilege. And then what does it say right after that? 
where you now stand. I don't care what your age is in this room, what your gender is in this room, what your nationality, your ethnicity is in this room. You stand, if you believe, because of your faith, in a place you don't deserve. But you stand there right now because of what Jesus did. Now, you may not be using all your benefits, and I feel bad for you if you ain't, but you stand in a place that you didn't earn and that you don't deserve. And that is a place that Christ, because of his sacrifice, brings you into. You can't get there on your own. Because it's his spot. God, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's his spot that he earned. And he said, if you believe in me, I'm going to bring you with me into this spot. And it's a place of undeserved privilege. If you understand that, say amen. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, let's look at verse 3. And we're going to go all the way up to verse 7. Say, I stand, I stand in, a place in a place that I don't deserve, I don't deserve. but it's mine. You're you about to really understand what that means. Hebrews 4, 3, it says, For only we who believe, there it is again, can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took an oath. Uh, keep going. They will never enter my place of rest. And he's talking about the children of Israel because remember they didn't believe um, uh, when they were going in the wilderness. Uh, they didn't believe in the promised land. They believed that the giants and stuff were too big for them to deal with. But God said, that's your land. They will never enter my place of rest even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Keep going. We know it is ready because of the place in the scripture where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God did what? Rested from what? Okay, sometimes you read the Bible, and you're like, what the heck are they talking about? What it's saying is, is God did everything for you that he was going to do when he created the world. I'm going to let that hit you in a minute. God, please heal me. Lord, please help me. I need money. God did everything for you already when the world was created. As time went on, his plan unfolded. And now you have the opportunity to receive it by believing it. So all you're now doing is connecting to the work that he's already finished. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Now, I'm 42 years old, about to be 43. I can't lie to you, the majority of my life, I've been asking God to do something that he's already done. I've been asking Jesus to finish something that he's already finished. And now I'm starting to understand part of my authority as a believer is I can declare and decree what's already done. He's not doing nothing else that he hadn't already done. I, I need deliverance. You understand? I got mental health issues. You're healed. It's already done. Verse 5. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. Verse 6. So God's rest is there. Somebody say it's there. It's there for people to enter. It's there for people to enter. Sounds like a choice has to be made. Sounds like somebody got to believe them. Sounds like somebody got to have some faith. Because that place, it's there. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed. That's what I was saying earlier. I can tell what you believe in what you do. To live a life of disobedience is to live a life of disbelief or unbelief, they failed to believe God, verse 7. Today, when you hear his voice, sorry, so God said another time for entering his rest. No, got to follow what the writer's doing. He, he was paralleling you to the time with the children of Israel, and now he's saying that was a time 
an example of him trying to take people into a promised land or rest. And it says, so God set another time for enter into his rest. Now, this ain't just for the children of Israel this time. This is for all of you and me and all of us. So God said another time for entering his rest. And when is that time? When is that time? Uh-huh. And tomorrow is going to be? And the next day is going to be? So this is a forever rest set up for you and I. Yesterday was even yesterday. <laughs> so there's always today when it's today. So God said another time for entering his rest, and that time is indeed today. Go to Ephesians 2, 4. All of this was to get to this point. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this is, this is about to be off the chain. It blew me away. Ephesians 2, 4, uh, verse 9, it says, But God is so rich in his mercy. Now, mercy we've talked about. Mercy is when I deserve punishment, but I don't get it. Back to our speeder, you know, you speeding, doing 100 in a, in a 40, and you don't go to jail. <laughs> That's mercy, amen? But God is so rich in his mercy, and he loved us so much, verse 5, uh, keep going, that even though we were dead because of our sins, see, God didn't save you when you were doing right. He saved you when you were doing wrong. But even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when? when he raised Christ from the dead. Verse 6, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with who? Along with Christ and seated us, somebody say seated. Seated, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because what? We are united with Christ Jesus. What? He seated us with him because we're united with Christ Jesus. Now, understand this. It didn't say you're going to be united. Again, I've been trying to be like Jesus. Somebody say, what's wrong with that? Go back. Beginning of verse 6. He raised us from the dead. Christ died on that cross. I was forgiven because of the blood. I believe in that. I'm right with God, but that wasn't the end of the story there. When he was raised up, we were raised with him. When he ascended to heaven, something else was taking place with you and I. Our position changed. Up to that point, Jesus was preaching and he was teaching people, you're going to need what I'm about to give you. It was all about the cross. Because everybody needed what he had. But then he died and his blood was shed and what he had became available to everybody. And for those who believe, the cross then did its job. But when he ascended to heaven, he had a new status, for lack of a better word, that was then made available for us. Before, we were just at the cross trying to get what he had, but now a new position became available for the believer. We literally went from the feet of the cross, and we drew this out on a Sunday, a Wednesday, to the seat with him in heaven. He was seated in heaven. I want you to see this after the cross. But it didn't stop there. It says, I am seated with him. Why? Not because I earn it. I'm united with him. I'm riding with Jesus. And you need to ask him about who you rolling with. I'm riding with Jesus and he ain't on the cross. He used to be here, but he ain't there no more. And that's why I need to move from the cross. And in my mindset, I need to understand where I'm at. I'm not at the cross no more. That's for people who need him. I got him. And because I got him, I'm seated in heavenly realms because I'm united with Christ Jesus. 
See, you got more power than you thought you had. You already got more authority than you thought you had. You are literally seated with Christ Jesus. It's not where you're trying to be. It's the place of undeserved privilege that you already got. You have a God who has taken care of all of your needs before they even show up. And then you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I don't know why you still got that cold, but you're healed. I don't know why you're still having money issues, but prosperity is yours. I don't know why those things are going on, but you are delivered, set free, and made whole. You might as well go ahead and get your mind right so you can receive all that he has for you and be who he's called you to be. You are not designed to keep trying to be saved. You are saved. You're delivered. You're healed, you're whole, and you are seated with him in heavenly realms. Now, doggone it, I don't, I don't think he just seated you uh, in heavenly realms for you just to feel good. You're seated on the throne so you can rule. You're seated on the throne because there's a dying, hurting world out there that needs to see the manifestation of his mature children. His sons and daughters, not people who are still struggling with, am I forgiven? Not people who are still struggling with, you know, uh, uh, what if I don't do this and what if I don't do that? This is only for people who know what Jesus has done and are accepting that it's finished. We got this, here, another radical statement alert coming. We got this thing, uh, well, I'm just, you know, I understand what you're saying, aren't you? But I just, I just got to spend time at the feet of Jesus. <sighs> because I got to receive from him. And I know what you're trying to say. What you're trying to say is kind of like that song we were singing about, fill me up, you know, and things like that. But, but I need you to understand that religious rhetoric will cause you to forget where you are. Let me show you really quick. Can I, can I take five more minutes? Okay, let me show you real quick what it actually means to be at the feet of Jesus. Go with me uh, to uh, Luke 8, 35, real quick. We're going to read this quick because I need you to see this. Luke 8, 35. Are you getting this today? Yeah. Amen. Okay, yeah, there it is. It said, uh, people rushed out to see what happened. Okay, let me give you context real quick. Uh, demonic man possessed with that demon legion. Remember, there's a bunch of them in there. Uh, and Jesus delivered the guy, and, and here's where we catch up with the story. It says, people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. Keep going. And they saw the man who had been freed. Somebody say free. So he was freed from the demons. What was he doing? He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and perfectly sane. Glory to God. This, this guy, and they were all afraid. They were like, what the world is this? We knew that guy had demons, and then he hooked up with Jesus, and now he's good to go. And that man was found where? At the feet of Jesus. Let's keep going. Uh, let's go to uh, Luke 10. Uh, I think we're going to start at verse, I think it was 36. It was either 36 or 37. Luke 10, just go to 37. Luke 10, 37. And we'll stay in the same version. It says, uh, okay, it must have been 38. 38. Yes. And Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. This is a story most of us know. They came to a certain village where a woman named, what was her name? Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat where? At the Lord's feet. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. That's a good place, right? Absolutely. Uh, she's sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Keep going. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner. She was doing what? Preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all the details. Keep going. 
There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, or they say, he says the needful thing, and it will not, somebody say not, be taken away from her. Okay, so you got a guy who was demon-possessed. He needed something from Jesus, and he got it, right? You got Martha, who needed something from Jesus, and she got it, right? Okay, let's do a look at one more. Um, Matthew 15, 30. Oh, sorry, uh, no, Luke 10, uh, Luke 8, 41. Luke 8, 41. Y'all remember the story of Jairus, right? Yeah, so this is what this is about. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and did what? Fell or laid prostrate where? At the feet of Jesus. Why did he do that? He needed something. Let's keep going. Pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Keep going. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched a fringe of his robe. Where was she? Around. At, at his feet. And what happened? The bleeding stopped. When did it stop? Immediately. Here's all these people at the feet of Jesus, man. They need something, right? And guess what? They're getting it. He said, who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. Peter said, Master, it's a whole crowd pressing up against you. What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody touching you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately went to my feet and chose to touch me, for I felt healing power go out from me. It took faith for all these people to get to his feet and believe in who he was to get what they need. Verse 47, when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. Again, she's at his feet. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and, then, uh, and that she had immediately been healed. Verse 48, daughter, he said to her, your faith, your belief has made you well go in peace. And as you keep reading throughout here, he gets to Jairus' house. Uh, I think he ends up kicking everybody out, and she also gets healed. So here's multiple examples of people being at the feet of Jesus. And it's a good thing. But I want you to see something. There's a reoccurring situation. They were all doing the needful thing because they needed something from Jesus. Because he had not died, the only way they were going to get healed, the only way they were going to get delivered, the only way their children were going to get raised from the dead, the only way the bleeding was going to stop was to personally get to him to receive what he had. So they had to humbly come to his feet in faith and say, teach me, heal me, deliver me, set me free. But once he went on that cross, all that healing, all that deliverance, all that word was made available to everybody around this world. So no longer do I have to find myself trying to go to the feet of Jesus, but one time. And once I'm saved, I need to get up from the feet and go get in my seat because I've already received all that he has. I am healed. I am delivered, I am set free, I am made whole, and to keep trying to go back to the feet means that he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So I now stand in a place of undeserved privilege, and I am now seated in heavenly realms with him. I have the Holy Spirit on the inside of me who teaches me. Right now, as I'm saying what I'm saying by the Holy Spirit, he's in you teaching you. Jesus is not physically showing up right now and teaching you. It's the Holy Ghost ministering through me and talking on the inside of you. Jesus is not physically showing up and laying hands on you. You're receiving the healing that is sacrifice made available. It's built in. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. He's built in 
And as a result, you got everything you need. The enemy is still trying to play games with us, trying to make us go in circles because of this religious jargon we've learned all these years. I got to get at the feet of Jesus. And God said, for what? It's done. You have him on the inside. Now, again, that's not degrading Jesus. That's not devaluing the cross. To actually say I'm going back to his feet is to say what he did on the cross didn't take. You're saying I still need something from him. Every example I showed you and every example you're going to find in the Bible, people being at the feet of Jesus, people who needed something from him. He said when he hung his head and died, it is finished. So if you keep trying to say, I got to get this from Jesus, I got need God to do, I got to, what you're saying is it's not finished. You have to stand firm and bold in your place of privilege. That privilege has provided for you all that you need. As it says, according to his riches and glory, by who? Now you know what that means. By what Christ Jesus has done, it's finished. So we now <laughs> have to start learning how to live and how to rule in the seat. Because that's where you and I are today. And my time is all gone. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So now we finally got to the place. We've been trying to get here all year. <laughs> we finally got to the place of now learning how do we live this life as mature believers. How do I live this life as mature believers? And I'll give you a little hint. It's just, it's just two ways that I've seen so far. One is... My mind has to be transformed. We'll talk about that on Wednesday night. And then the same way Jesus did, by the leading of the Holy Ghost. Now all that teaching we did last year about the Holy Spirit is going to make even more sense now. Because they had Jesus physically here. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Now it's you walking with the Holy Ghost, being led by the Spirit to do the will of God. And man, I love the fact that we get to teach that and, and, and learn that together because I can't wait to see you out there with your successful self doing the will of God for your life. Some of you are about to discover some great and mighty things. Some of you, I declare in Jesus' name, the impossible is about to be possible because you are, you are now seeing what the will of God is going to be. You're now seeing in Jesus' name that it's not about you, but it's about him and what he's already done. And I declare in Jesus' name, success. All this week, success. From this day forward, success in your body, success in your mind, success in every area of your life. For now you have aligned with the will of God and no good thing can be withheld from you. Father, we thank you for this. We declare and decree is done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise for that.